Welcome to Beyond Toast, Episode 5, Better Living Through Chemistry. Welcome to Beyond Toast, the podcast where Toastmasters talk about food, bringing together their two passions, food and language. I'd like to start this week's episode with a reading. What You Get Is Magic by Floki Starsgaard. Cooking is not a science, and cooking is not an art. To make something delicious, they both must play their part. It takes a methodical process, but also the imagination to create a meal that would bring a smile to anyone's face after tasting what's on their plate. Always experimenting with ingredients, searching for that perfect combination of flavour, even knowing what's happening on a chemical level, helps create something to truly savour. Onions and garlics sautéing, the aroma drifting through the air. Every sauce is another potion that can make most people drool and stare. Breads cooling on the counter, the scents transport you to an enchanted land that is only limited by your imagination, just like living in Wonderland. Cakes appearing out of a few random things, as easy as casting a spell, like being a wizard who has the scrolls to coax anyone out of their shell. Cooking is where all science was born, yet without art it is only tragic. But when you use them both together, what you get is simply magic. And speaking of magic... In this week's episode, we have a new guest. I'd like to invite Amy Locks to talk about herself. Hello, I'm Amy. Welcome, Amy. So tell us about yourself and your Toastmasters experience. You know, what do you do when you're not uh, obviously breaking new ground in public mm-hmm. speaking? And, and what brought you into Toastmasters in the first place? Okay, so I'm 21. And the reason I'm on the podcast is because I'm a member and secretary for the Toasted Sandwich Toastmasters Public Speaking Group, which is quite an appropriate club name considering the subject of this podcast is all about food. But outside of Toastmasters, I am a chemistry student at the University of Birmingham. And like most people, I love food. So very happy to be on the podcast. I've been in Toastmasters since November. And I've been quite fortunate that the Toastmasters group that I meet in is in the same place where I'm doing my year in industry for Pfizer in Sandwich in Kent. So I heard about it and public speaking had always been something that I got super nervous for and had to prepare like crazy for. Yeah, and the general takeaways from my experience so far have been, it's been nothing but encouraging and supportive. I've been able to do things I never thought I could do before. It's really been so rewarding to see how far I've come. For instance, six months ago, I don't even think I'd have the courage to say yes to being on a podcast, which is nice. So I don't regret the decision and I'm looking forward to continuing my Toastmasters journey and seeing my public speaking skills develop even further. That's great. I, for one, am very glad that you summoned up the courage to come along to the podcast. Also very interested that you're doing chemistry. That was also my first degree. And I was wondering, do you see any parallels between food and your interest in chemistry and food and cookery? Hmm. Uh, maybe because I guess like when you're in the lab and you're following a method, it's like a recipe, isn't it? But you're making something you can't eat. <laughs> yeah, 
clearly that's the case. Yeah. I think that it's a long time ago now, but if I recall back to my days in the lab, definitely eating and tasting things was frowned upon. Apart from, <laughs> I do remember one great experiment where it was a solvent extraction of piperidine from pepper. So you're oh, essentially right. doing a soxlet extraction and then you ended up with this really lovely, peppery, warm on the tongue alcohol that you could actually taste. They actually allowed you to do that. So mm-hmm. I definitely remembered, you know, that sort of one fusion element of bringing food and chemistry <laughs> together. So hopefully you will be able to use those chemistry skills in sort of cookery and maybe judging on food as well. So thank you very much for that and, and say welcome to the episode. An Ode to Haber by Christopher Reed. We need to eat food other than meat. This is a fact that we can't cheat. If left to nature we would see that we can't rely on the fruit of a tree. Since 1900 the world population has increased. If the crop yield remained natural, production would have ceased. So today there's a scientist we have to commend, for without him the earth would be at a loose end. Because of the clever ideas formed in his head, we have to thank him for not being dead. The man in question, his name you can guess. To give you a clue, he invented the Haber process. He used nitrogen and hydrogen to produce NH3. Thanks to Haber, there's food for you and me. Ammonia is used as a fertiliser to meet plants' needs. And as explosive, it fulfils men's greeds. Whether it's good or whether it's bad, one thing is sure. As an explosive, it makes us sad. thing we talk about is these food memories, uh, things that are lodged into our consciousness that we, in an idle moment, we will look back to and it'll just get the saliva forming in our mouths and just be thinking of happier times. Now, is there a particular food memory that springs into your mind? Yes, that has actually made me think of two particular memories. My first ever memory was actually slightly food related because I was, I think I was about two and I was watching a, a dolphin show in Portugal and I had like a box of sweet popcorn and I got so excited when I saw a dolphin swimming that I threw it all over myself. <laughs> so that was my first food memory and that's quite nice. That was also my first ever memory, but maybe a more recent food experience. Well, obviously what makes a food experience special is the company as well. So I think in that case, I'd say about a year ago when I was finishing my second year at university and all of my housemates and I were about to part ways for the year, either going on years abroad or placement years. So we went to this Vietnamese restaurant. It was a small business as well. It wasn't a big chain restaurant. And I think the owners were Vietnamese as well. So it was all very authentic and delicious. I had a large comforting bowl of ramen, which made me feel a little bit better about the fact that I wasn't going to see my friends for an entire year. It was just a really wholesome evening and meal out. Fantastic. Yes, there is nothing sort of more satisfying than a nice, large, warm bowl of ramen. So was there any particular type of ramen? Oh, um, I think I remember there being a lot of dumplings in there and there was sort of like a, a breaded stick of something. I'm not sure. I, I'm not cultured enough to know exactly what was in it, to be honest. There were some <laughs> noodles, of course. I think because the broth was uh, slightly thick, I think there might have been like tahini paste in it or something. 
Interesting. Yeah. Oh, well, it's, I mean, I know that when it comes to Vietnamese food, I'm always a great fan of the, and I can never pronounce it properly. It's P-H-O, and I always want to oh. say pho. Yeah. But then I think there's, it's more of a fur. People oh, call really? it fur. Apparently, and again, it's a nice, sort of, uh, rich, beefy, sort of meaty sort of stock with the noodles through mm-hmm. it, and then you've got that chilli and coriander on the top. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, I think, I think where I live down in Camberwell, there's a really nice Vietnamese cafe. Mm-hmm. Obviously, back when one could move around freely, yeah. I would certainly pop there <laughs> of there on a Saturday. Did all your university friends head off in different directions for their year in industries? Yeah, well, I was the only one who did a year in industry, but a few of them were in Berlin for the year and one in Melbourne. So I haven't seen the one in Melbourne for the entire year because obviously that's not a cheap flight. Yes, yes. Of course, there is the joy of Zoom where you can kind of keep yeah. in contact with, with people, but it's not the same again. I mean, that's the, mm-hmm. the joy of friends and a meal, the, all, all the different contexts. It's, 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 yeah. the, it's the sounds, the smells, the, the conviviality, the bonding, and then the, the good food providing a certain amount of glue and the lubrication for the yeah. evening. I think this would be a wonderful opportunity to make a return to Tiny Moons, A Year of Eating in Shanghai by Nina Mingya Powles. These are the dumplings I grew up with. Seconds ago they were ladled from the pot of boiling water onto my plate, still steaming and glistening, their pearly white skins a little wonky and uneven, a reassuring sign that the dough had been rolled by hand, not machine. The pork and cabbage filling is seasoned with ginger, spring onions and soy sauce, with an egg to bind the mix together, sometimes also a little sesame oil, five spice or MSG powder, depending on whose secret recipe it is. Dedicated dumpling restaurants such as this one serve delicious vegetarian options too. Egg and chives, egg and tomato, a particularly northern combination, mushroom and chives. On the table, there are always three condiments in porcelain jars, soy sauce, black vinegar and chilli oil. Jalzi reminded me of helping my mother in her steam-filled kitchen at home by the sea. They remind me of the cold, dark month I spent studying in Beijing. When I was nineteen, the sun permanently clouded behind a thick haze of pollution, living off Jalzi every morning and evening. When I ordered them to take away, I received black vinegar in a little plastic bag, tied shut with a rubber band, extra chilli oil for extra cold, homesick afternoons. What does it mean to taste something and be transported to so many places at once, all of them a piece of home? To be half elsewhere all of the time, half here and not here. There are two sides of myself, one longing for the city, one at peace near the sea. I have to say my readings of Nina's book really don't do it justice. I would encourage you to go out and find a copy and enjoy it for yourself. So Anna, I can imagine that's a, that's a fantastic memory. But obviously, as you say, you've, you've talked about missing your friends, that feeling of loss. So mm-hmm. that moves us on to comfort food. When you do feel these, these memories of your friends, and you are feeling a little bit in the need of <laughs> some support. What's the comfort food you turn to? When I'm making some comfort food, it has to be something that I know I can make quite easily. So it's not too much effort. So I'd probably say either a risotto or a lasagna because you can you have the base of either the rice or the pasta, but then you can add in anything you want into it. And the added bonus of a lasagna especially is that you can have a huge portion of garlic bread alongside it, which I love. <laughs> Absolutely. So when it comes to the risotto, are you a stock in all in one sort of person? Or are you one of these people who can calmly put a little bit of stock in it a bit at a time and just watch it slowly absorb? Oh, I kind of just whack it all in and just saves washing up as well, you know. 
<laughs> I absolutely agree. When I was living in Inverness, I used to make this lovely comforting risotto with smoked haddock, which kind of dissolved into the risotto and made it just extra creamy and gave the mm. smokiness and put through a little bit of beetroot and you just get this really rich, hearty. Mm. For the winters in Inverness, it was an absolute godsend. <laughs> <laughs> yep, so I definitely think risotto is the way to go. Have you ever tried any of these healthier lasagnas where you get a leek and you use leek to separate it or any, any other oh. sort of... Oh, what, instead of, um, instead the, of pasta the pasta layers? Oh, no, I, I have to have the pasta layers in there. Otherwise, I just won't be satisfied. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, you're right. It moves from comfort food into healthy food, and those yeah. are definitely <laughs> two separate things. <laughs> Thank you. And now for another reading. Recipe for Risotto by Josephine Clark. Call the family in. Tell them to be ready at the right time. Remind them of where they come from. Butter from the Alps, rice from the sodden Lombardy plains, their noni from lines of brothers, the goldfields, the woodline, to abandoned shacks in the carry. Cover the base of the pan with white butter, let it sing. Add onion thinly sliced, garlic finely chopped, and saffron from the autumn crocus. When you arrive at a yellowing chorus, drop the rice in, three handfuls for each one at the table. Too extra for the dead in the room. Recall those times you could not afford such extravagance. Let the wooden spoon keep the rice moving in quavers. At the high, translucent sea, add a glass of wine. Carefully chosen, it will bring another voice to the ground base. When you draw from the simmering stock, remember where eggs come from. How much of a hen we use in our lives. Keep the rice covered in her relinquishing. It is the hen's gift to the rice. Make certain it is received. As soon as the rice has gorged itself, sauce the noto. Hold on to that note, the journeys, the sacrifices. Add cheese, more butter. Light a candle. Put the lid on. Don't let in any forgetting. I believe that Josephine is launching her latest collection of poetry, also entitled Recipe for Risotto. So if you enjoyed that, I'd recommend checking it out. And talking of checking things out, it's time for Mike's Eat of the Week. With all the hot weather springing out of nowhere, it's always good to have a trusty salad recipe stashed somewhere away in case of emergencies. And the one I come back to year upon year is something called a Southwestern Salad. Or at least that's what it was called when I first downloaded it from the BBC website. When I went back to check today, it's now called something completely different. I can only imagine that a bunch of angry... Southwesterners descended upon the BBC offices and demanded this affront to their cuisine be removed. But regardless of how authentic it is or where it draws its roots from, I do think it's a particularly tasty salad that goes well in hot conditions. It's a lovely mix of fresh tomatoes, cool avocado, soft and salty black beans, that bite of spring onions, refreshing crispy crunch of sweet corn, all drizzled in a Tabasco and cumin dressing, and topped with a good squeeze of lime. It's a real treat for the senses, and the only thing that could possibly make it better is my special addition of halloumi fried in butter. After all, you wouldn't want it to be too healthy.
We're now moving into the fantasy meal for four, which is obviously that eternal question. If you had the opportunity to have a meal with any guests, past, present, even future, from anywhere around the world, where would you go? What would you eat? Yeah, I did have to do quite a bit of thinking about this prior because I wanted to have the perfect ambiance of my guests and, and I. But I think my first guest would have to be Stephen Fry. I think it'd make for a really insightful and inspiring dinner because he's had such a lot of life experience. He's so articulate and has interesting takes on all walks of life. I actually went through a phase a few years ago when I read basically all of his fictional books as well as his autobiographies and he's extremely witty in his writing and of course in person too when you see him on QI. But alongside Stephen Fry, I would have to say maybe Louis Theroux. When I've listened to him outside of his documentaries on podcasts, etc., on his books, again, he has, he's really witty, but his humour is a lot more understated. And he can also be very matter of fact. So I think that would be quite grounding to be around. He'd keep everyone, keep everyone right. <laughs> um, then my other two guests, I think I'd quite like to invite Greta Thunberg because I've never seen her in a social setting. You always see her doing her serious speeches. I would like to see how she'd be in a more relaxed environment. And also just have a lot of respect for it because she's achieved so much at just 17. But in case she is also serious in a social setting, I would have my final guest to be a comedian such as James A. Castor, because I think he's hilarious. So the combination of all those four, I think would, would be, yeah, great. <laughs> No, absolutely. I think you've got all bases covered there. The witticisms bouncing between Stephen Fry and Louis Theroux would be probably mm. just worth the entry alone. Yeah. <laughs> and then, obviously, yes, you've got that kind of the social commentary and just the energy and sheer drive from Greta Thunberg. Yeah. Yes, that would sort of be absolutely fantastic. I mean, James Acast has a name I keep hearing, but I don't think I've come mm. across his work as yet. So that's something really? I will happily have to look out he's, for. He's on Mock the Week a lot, so maybe you've seen him on that sort of show. Now that I just use iPlayer, it's one of those things I will always look to. Yes, I must watch an episode of Mock the Week, but then mm -hmm. there's always something else drags my attention elsewhere. Yeah. <laughs> Probably some cookery program or MasterChef. Yeah. <laughs> so so you've, you've got your guests. Mm -hmm. So wh where would you go and what would you eat? Since most of them are quite classic British figureheads, especially Louis Theroux and Stephen Fry, it'd have to be somewhere that has a lot of class, a lot of British class, somewhere with a nice ambiance, maybe some live background piano music by a piano virtuoso, some champagne or maybe some wine. I wouldn't want it to be a very busy environment because I want to hear everything they have to say. I, I like it when you can focus more on the conversation and the taste of the food than being distracted by the hustle in the background. Well, my go-to usually for eating out is usually Italian, but I couldn't just take them to Pizza Express. I just wouldn't do them justice. So it'd have to be somewhere maybe a bit more sophisticated with that sort of ambiance with the background piano music, everything would just have to be that slight level above. Maybe even one of those restaurants where you can see the chef doing that thing with the pizza when they twist it on the, <laughs> spin it on the finger, and you, and you know that the dough is going to be perfect. I'm, I'm be sure cool. they would love that. That does sound yeah. like the server. I mean, I'm definitely salivating at the very thought of that. Yeah. So I'm sure they would love that too. Excellent. Thank you very much. Now, obviously, at any dinner party, there is always one guest who steers the conversation into one of the infernal subjects that should never be discussed. Those are, of course, politics, religion or sex. This time, the guest is unfortunately you. So which subject <laughs> would you choose out of politics, religion and sex? And, and what might you say? Ooh, you know, I think I think you could 
in a way approach all three topics if you approach it from a more philosophical way as it can lead down more avenues for conversation it's less heart of a harsh way of talking about all three if you more just ask how people think and feel about things rather than directly stating your opinion on things and seeming more forceful does that make sense does that is that a proper answer it's as good an answer as yeah. any i mean sort of yes like, why face it head on and yes if yeah. you come at it with an open mind hopefully people will come back at you with an open mind mm -hmm. but you've still transgressed that that cannot be washed away <laughs> so you're still going to find yourself uh, kicked out onto the street and you're yeah. waiting for your taxi home yeah. you're looking around thinking well i need to make myself feel better so what guilty pleasure are you going to reach for I do have a massive sweet tooth, so I, I probably wouldn't go for a takeaway. I'd probably get the taxi home and then make myself a stack of pancakes. <laughs> so and what would you have on your pancakes? <laughs> lots of jam, lots of syrup, maybe some fruit as well, just so I, I feel a bit more justified about eating pancakes. <laughs> I know you're feeling on the fruit front. I remember visiting Brooklyn in, in one year and we went to this lovely sort of a cafe for breakfast. We got a sort of stack of pancakes and it kind of came out and it was this sort of stack of pancakes about six inches high and yeah. it was just absolutely laden with syrup. Wow. And I thought, oh my God. And then there was a little bit of fruit around the side to make it look healthy. And then they came <laughs> out with another huge big thing of syrup and I was thinking, wow. <laughs> So I tried, and I, I was absolutely in a sugar rush for the whole Yeah, time. Yeah, your head would be oh, buzzing. Oh, absolutely, yes. I mean, I don't think I'd be able to eat sugar since. It was just that much. <laughs> oh, absolutely fantastic. And again, Americans never do anything by halves. But yeah, yeah, so I could absolutely understand pancakes. That would be definitely a good way to sort of indulge yourself and, and also feel like you're not being too bad as well. Excellent. Yeah. Thank you very much. And now it's time for our final reading. The Pancake Collector by Jack Prelutsky. Come visit my pancake collection. It's unique in the civilised world. I have pancakes in every description. Pancakes flaky and fluffy and curled. I have pancakes of various sizes. Pancakes regular, heavy and light. Underdone pancakes and overdone pancakes and pancakes so perfectly right. I have pancakes locked up in the closets. have pancakes on hangers and hooks. There are bags and boxes and bureaus and pressed in the pages of books. There are pretty ones sewn to the cushions and tastefully pinned to the drapes. The ceilings are coated with pancakes, and pressed in the pages with crepes. I have pancakes in most of my pockets, and concealed in the lining of suits. There are tiny ones stuffed in my mittens, and a large one packed in my boots. I have extra of most of my pancakes. I maintain them in rows on these shelves, and if you say nice things about them, you may take a few home for yourselves. I see that you've got to be going. Won't you let yourselves out by the door? It is time that I pour out the batter and bake up a few hundred more. There's always room for more pancakes, but I'm afraid there's not much of this episode left. If you have any feedback or comments, do let me know at info at beyondtoast.uk or through Twitter at beyond underscore toast underscore UK. We're also reaching out to new audiences and are increasing our visibility on platforms such as Apple Podcasts and Acast. So if you see us there, do stop by and leave us a review. 
If you have been enjoying the readings, I would encourage you to search out further work by the poets. Links should be available in the show notes. That's it. We're coming to the close of this episode. Amy, I'd like to thank you. You've been a fantastic guest. Really thank loved you your, your various takes <laughs> on the question, particularly throwing the bad guest moment back in my face. I think that's a fantastic <laughs> way to go about it. Classic Toastmaster tradition. Hopefully no one else listens to this episode and tries the same. And so is there anything you'd like to promote? I don't think so. You've already done a great job promoting James mm-hmm. Acaster, so I'm sure his, <laughs> uh, his agent will be in touch on, the, on that one. So nothing else to do at this stage except say thank you very much and goodbye. Mm-hmm. So it's goodbye from me. Goodbye from me. <laughs> Excellent. And you'll all tune in next week for where we hopefully have another guest. So thank you very much. This is Beyond Toast signing out. <laughs> <laughs>